Hello, and welcome to the Lisa Congdon Sessions, a podcast for creative folks about living and working with more intention, curiosity, and joy. I'm your host, Lisa Congdon. Y'all, I have really good news. Before I get started today, I wanted to introduce you to my very first sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Wireframe. Wireframe is a podcast about creativity and design. It's a show for creative professionals produced by industry leader Adobe, who makes Illustrator and InDesign and Photoshop and all of those amazing apps that we use. It's for UX designers, illustrators, graphic designers, typographers, artists, and activists, or really anyone who's interested in design and how creativity impacts the world around us. Later in this episode, I'll share with you one of my very favorite recent episodes of Wireframe. Thank you again, Wireframe, for supporting the Lisa Congdon Sessions. Here we are at episode six. Oh my gosh, this episode is the second in a two-part series on what it means to have an artistic voice. So if you haven't already listened to the previous episode, go back and listen for part one, where we discussed style and skill. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the remaining three components of your artistic voice, which are subject matter, medium, and consistency. In both episodes, I break down all of the elements of your voice so you understand them beyond the jargon. And as many of you know, I wrote a book about the topic of voice, which I will link to in the show notes if you want even more information and resources. So if you are someone who wonders what your voice is beyond your style, then this episode will be helpful. Because as I mentioned in episode five, your style is an important element of your artistic voice, but your voice is so much more than your style. And as I mentioned in the last episode, your artistic voice in the most simple terms is your own point of view as an artist. It includes your style, things like your own color palette, the symbols you work with, the lines in your work, the markings you make, the skill you have, your mediums, your subject matter, and the consistency with which you use all of those things I just mentioned and more. Consistency is a really important key here, and I'll get into that more in this episode towards the end. But first, let's review what we covered in episode five. So the first two components of your artistic voice are style and skill, and I covered those in detail in episode five. So go back and listen to that if you haven't already. And now I'm going to introduce one that I think next to style is the most important, and that is subject matter. We all know and follow artists whose work is highly narrative. In other words, it draws on the life experience or invented worlds of the artist. For some artists, subject matter is the most significant aspect of their voice. To most of us who make even vaguely representational works, it's often the defining marker of our voice. What we choose to make a critical part of our expression of our own truth, right? It's our choice about expressing what we find the most beautiful or the most repulsive, the most interesting, the most meaningful. 
In the last episode, I threw out the terms abstract and representational, and I thought I would talk a little bit more about what I mean by those today in just regular, everyday, non-academic language. So on the one end of the spectrum, we have work that is highly representational. And what I mean by that is it's mostly true to life in terms of scale and color and that kind of thing. Like when you look at the work, you know what you're looking at, right? You're looking at a flower, you're looking at a chair, you're looking at a house, you're looking at a person's face. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have very abstracted work, meaning the works aren't really abstractions of anything real, right? In the middle, and this is where many artists lie, you have everything from abstract works that are simple abstractions of actual things, but are so abstracted that it's hard to tell what that painting represents, to somewhere in the middle, which are paintings or drawings or sculptures, which are things that are recognizable, like a chair or a lamp, right? But they are abstracted, which means they're drawn out of scale or in strange colors or with wonky, weird edges, right? And then you have representational work that is only slightly abstracted, right? Maybe stylized is a, is a common term we use for work that's realistic or representational, but that is only, you know, slightly abstracted. That work is usually called stylized, which means an artist brings their own style to it. And so I bring this up because in all forms of art, whether you are highly abstracted, like your work is highly abstracted, or whether your work is highly representational to the point of being almost photorealistic, right? Regardless of what end of the spectrum your work falls on or wherever you are in between, there is a narrative, even when the art is hugely abstract and even when it's a simple thing like a flower, right? Sometimes I think we think, oh, only work that's like deep or complex or obviously narrative has, you know, subject matter that is narrative, but really everything has a narrative. And I don't want to just, I don't want to suggest that only representational artists have subject matter. Everyone has subject matter, even if it's more conceptual, but often representational work is more recognized for a subject matter because it's something that the everyday person can sort of pick out and, and even analyze. So while subject matter is externally focused, like the things we can see, things like landscapes and narrative scenes and objects, etc., what we are drawn to rendering as artists is actually, whether we know it or not, or are aware of it or not, deeply personal and very different for every artist, even for artists who have very similar subject matter. Much of what we're drawn to is based on what we've been exposed to, things like our life experience, what surrounds us, what has influenced us, our education, native country, political affiliation, sexual identity, gender, culture, religion, race, ethnicity, sense of privilege or lack of are all examples of what influence what we make art about. Our choice of subject matter is influenced also by our sense of morality, our values, and our ideas about what is right and wrong. It's influenced by things like religion or rejection of religion, what we find beautiful or fascinating or even repulsive. I mean, not everybody's work is influenced by religion, but I'm saying that's one thing that is very common when we think about what influences us. When you are thinking about specific subject matter, it's as important to consider where you draw inspiration as much as you think about what you're painting or drawing. 
This is especially true for people who paint from their imagination and not from specific reference like photos. And it's also true for people who make abstracted works. Artists who draw from their imagination still find inspiration in their exterior worlds, but they process and apply that inspiration differently than people who paint directly from photo reference or life. The approach is slightly different. For example, years ago, I was enormously interested in Scandinavian design and folk patterns. And at the time, I had never set foot in Scandinavia. So most of my inspiration was gathered from books or perusing the internet. And I devoured so much inspiration that I eventually created my own Nordic land, like imaginary scenes, most of which were made up entirely by me. But here's the important part. I drew from the inspiration, but I created my own patterns and landscapes. Abstract or what we sometimes call non-objective artists also process inspiration differently. What inspires their work is often the same stuff that inspires representational artists, things like landscapes or feelings or colors, but the way they render their subject matter is not literal. I hope that makes sense. A great exercise for folks who aren't sure if they have consistent subject matter that helps to define their voice is to sit and think about what your work is about. What imagery do you typically render? Is it more representational or more abstract? What stories are you telling? What personal truths are you sharing? What do you want people to feel when they look at your work? Are you telling a story or simply evoking a feeling? I also recommend that you ask folks in your life to react to your work. It's often helpful to hear other people's perspectives to bring out our subject matter or help us think about how to define our subject matter. Ask them, what do you see? What do you notice? What do you feel? It doesn't mean that other people's interpretations of your work need to become your definition of your subject matter, but sometimes it can be really helpful to talk through what your work is about with someone outside of yourself. I also want to say here that learning to talk about your subject matter is tough. Ask any artist who has had to write a statement about their work for a show, and most of them will cringe. And that's because many of us work from intuition and from places that are so deeply personal that we don't even know necessarily what they mean. And we don't necessarily even know sometimes what our work is about, even when we're making it. Or we draw or paint or sculpt things because we enjoy drawing certain things or taking pictures of certain things. My grad students will tell you that one of the toughest parts of going into their thesis year is that they are forced to talk about what their work means, what its purpose is in the world. And if this is hard for you, and it's hard for you to define, you are not alone. That said, many people have the opposite experience. Their work is very much about a particular thing, and that thing is pretty straightforward, so it's easy to talk about. And that's also something that's fairly common. And then there's the rest of us who are sort of in the middle, where it's just, we sort of know a little bit about what our work is about, but it's just sort of hard to talk about or hard to express in a way that sounds intelligent. Regardless, as a working artist, it's an important thing because you will be asked, right? And so I recommend practicing by writing and talking about it, not once or twice, but over and over. It may even feel like you're spewing bullshit <laughs> at first, right? Like, my work is about blah blah and blah blah and it just might not even feel authentic. 
But eventually, if you think about and write about all of it enough, practice it over and over, it will begin to feel authentic and real because you'll get to the heart of it. But if you ignore really thinking about what your work means, you'll never be able to talk about it. I mean, if you're not a professional artist who has to talk about their work to press or viewers or galleries, then maybe you don't need to worry about it. But for the rest of us, it's important. So that's subject matter in a nutshell. Let's move on to the next component, which is medium. This one's pretty straightforward, but I think it's worth talking about. So your artistic medium is another part of your voice. The word media is the plural form of the word medium. So oftentimes we say, what is your medium or what are your mediums? But really the correct word is media. Your media are the substances and tools you use to give expression and form to your voice. Things like paint, graphite, textiles, ink, paper, wood, clay, etc. Typically, you choose a medium or a combination of media because you enjoy working with them, right? Like that should always drive what we use. But another reason is that they most effectively express what we're trying to communicate, otherwise known as your subject matter, right? The media you choose influence your style and the mood in your work, which are essentially two of the other elements, right? Style and mood. Mood could potentially be a subset of subject matter. A medium can be anything. Most artists use what we call traditional media, things like paint, paper, or clay, but there are so many artists who use non-traditional media. And examples of things that are non-traditional media are like discarded clothing, chewing gum, even human hair. And I'll talk about human hair in a second. But I also wanted to mention that in San Francisco, there's this residency that happens at the dump at the transfer station. I applied for it one year and I didn't I didn't get accepted. But basically what you do when you get into that program is you stay there for several weeks and you like pull trash out of the dump and make an installation or pieces of art out of it. And then they have a show where people can come look at it. And it's so amazingly cool. And that's the place where I've really seen some really non-traditional media. And I mean, some people work with trash on a regular basis. But anyway, I think it's pretty cool. I've been collecting plastic at the beach and thinking about what I want to make out of that. And it's pretty fun. But speaking of hair, I used to know this woman who went to California College of the Arts for her MFA and she worked in hair. And then I actually worked with a gallery in San Francisco that she worked at for a while. And I can't remember her name, but she used to make the most amazing art out of human hair. It was super creepy, but super beautiful. There are several contemporary artists who use human hair, but it's actually a Victorian tradition. And in the show notes, I'll link to an article that I found on Artsy that discusses that tradition. It's it's pretty cool. Anyhow, forms of three-dimensional art like assemblage, installation, performance art are entirely media-driven. In performance art, the artist's own body is the medium, right? My recent mentee in the grad program where I work at Pacific Northwest College of Art, whose name is Alex Slidell, uses both ceramics, performance art, and film as their media. And interestingly, that media is the connection that binds their work together. So the connections between their choice of media and their subject matter are very intentional. And I think when we get out of the use of traditional media into non-traditional media, you'll see more and more connections between choice of media and the subject matter. I will link to Alex's website in the show notes so you can check out their work. 
Even categories of traditional media are diverse, though. So, for example, in the world of paint, we have watercolor, gouache, acrylic, oil paint, all in the world of paint, right? They're all very different from each other, and artists can choose them because of the distinct form they give to their ideas. Similarly, digital drawing often have a distinctly different look and feel than drawings made with pencil or ink or paint. And I want to say, too, that digital drawing is getting so fancy that there's programs out there that make the digital drawing look like watercolor. So I do believe at some point we may not be able to tell the difference. I think most of us can still tell, but it's fascinating how those mediums or media are interchangeable. And then you also have like vector artwork, which is even distinctive from digital drawings made with, you know, pixels on a tablet. Potters use different kinds of clay for different purposes and to portray different effects in their work. They fire their work at different temperatures to give additional character and distinction. So literally every category of art from painting to ceramics to sculpture to photography to animation to printmaking to drawing and on and on uses an array of different media. And what's amazing about this and so exciting is that it means your options are literally endless, right? Just like for style, there is no rule that says your voice must include only one medium. Many artists use multiple media in their work. I don't mix media too often personally, but I do create work in about four different media on a regular basis, including fabric and clay, acrylic and gouache paints, digital drawing on a tablet. And I think all the time about the potential media I might use in the future. For my next show, I'm going to work in needlepoint, for example. Some artists mix media, and those artists are called mixed media artists. Maybe you're a mixed media artist. They use cut paper, ink, paint, graphite, and other media together in different combinations, sometimes in collage and sometimes in other ways. For those of you who use many media, I'm sure you experience that doing so uses different parts of your brain and keeps things interesting in the occasional, you know, monotony of the art making process. Challenging yourself to develop skill in one medium develops your skill in all media. Discovery of a medium's possibilities or limitations, obviously, happens every time you try something new. Thank you to my new sponsor, Wireframe a podcast that explores how creativity helps make a better world, hosted by Koi Vin, principal designer at Adobe. One of my favorite recent episodes is all about the new Burger King logo, which if you've been paying attention, you've probably heard about or seen, and specifically the nostalgia in the design. One of the things I love most about this podcast is the conversation between Koi, the host, and his frequent guests and producers who join him on the show. They make great banter. I hope you'll search for Wireframe in your podcast app, like the one you're using right now, and I will also include a link in my show notes. Many thanks to Wireframe for their support. All right. Last but certainly not least, as you've heard me mention multiple times now, a key component of voice and the final component I'm going to talk about in this episode is consistency. So consistency is basically another way of saying that you repeat the previous four elements that I've discussed within and among your work. Similar subject matter, the same media, and the elements of style like color, pattern, line, and markings. 
As such, your work becomes and is identifiably yours. When you settle in on a set of elements, things like style, subject matter, and medium, you make work that follows a set of unwritten rules. For example, a consistent use of positive and negative space, a consistent color palette, themes in your subject matter, consistent lines and shapes. Conversely, sticking to a consistent set of rules means you are also excluding other things, right? You're making intentional choices about what to include and not to include. Here's an example. I rarely use the colors orange or purple in my work. Sometimes I use shades of them like vermilion red, which is an orangey red, or burgundy, which is a mix of red and purple. But mostly, I work in the same seven colors with splashes of neutrals. My more limited palette is one of the ways my work is consistent. It's part of my voice. But here's the good news. You don't have to be or do everything as an artist. In fact, focusing on your own set of rules, otherwise known as all the ways you like to work, is part of how you will keep your work consistent. Remember, you get to make the rules about your work, your colors, your medium, your subject matter, your style. If you are an artist who works in more than one style, over time, you'll develop consistency in each of your styles. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about style in episode five. As I mentioned in that previous episode, painting great Gerhard Richter works in both hyper-realistic forms and abstractly, and his two bodies of work could hardly be more different from one another, but his works are consistent within each of his styles. His realistic paintings are clearly his realistic paintings, and all of his abstract works, which he makes with big squeegees, are clearly his abstract works. And I did link to a great documentary about him in the show notes from episode five. I believe that the consistency in your work is the ultimate expression or marker of your voice. When you find that your work begins to use consistent media and subject matters and has a consistent style over time, This is evidence that your voice is emerging, right? So if you ever have noticed this happening, this is you finding your voice, especially if you're enjoying it, especially if you're into it, especially if you're feeling that flow. Does consistency mean you'll never experiment or try new things? Absolutely not. And I want to emphasize that here. And you wouldn't want to stop experimenting either. Constantly pushing your work to new places is what keeps you evolving as an artist and keeps your work satisfying and engaging, not just for you, which is really important, but also for the people who follow you and who purchase your work and enjoy your work. In my book, Find Your Artistic Voice, I talk about the fact that finding your voice is often a misleading term because it sounds like arriving at something final. And I really want to dispel that idea. And I want to close by saying that it implies that once you've found your voice, you have made it to something final that will remain unchanged. But we all know as creative folks, that is impossible. Inherent in creating is change. The voices of all artists continue to change over time, simply by virtue of the fact that when we work consistently, evolution happens. That's like part of the reason that I recommend practicing and making work frequently as a pathway to finding your voice. Because when you work consistently, you automatically evolve and you automatically grow and you automatically become more skilled and your work deepens. 
We have new ideas, new inspirations. We get bored. We learn something new. We develop new skills and we try new things out of sheer frustration. Those are all normal parts of the creative process and all things that allow and help our voice to grow and evolve over time. And sometimes these changes we make are very subtle and not even conscious to us. Maybe somebody will point out to you that your work has changed over time and you didn't even notice. And sometimes they're very intentional and quite dramatic, like artists will intentionally switch up their medium or intentionally change their work up because they got bored creatively. Or, you know, there's actually probably a ton of reasons why artists would change up their work dramatically. For that reason, instead of arriving at a final destination, I like to think of finding your voice as entering your own orbit, where you are floating around in your own circular path, like a planet orbits around its sun. The sun you orbit around is your aptitude and skill, your ideas, your style, your perspective, all of the things that we've talked about in the last two episodes, all the things that make your voice yours. Your sun's gravity keeps you steady, but you're also not in a fixed place. You're always moving and shifting around inside of your orbit, attracting new stars and new planets. I really hope you've enjoyed hearing more about what makes an artistic voice. And mostly, I hope it's helpful to you in your own path to find yours. I included links to all kinds of resources in the show notes. Editing of this podcast is by the amazing Gabe Garber. Big thanks to Nick Lambert for the original music and to my amazing team at the Coloop Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the Lisa Congdon Sessions on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what you hear, leave me a review. You can follow me on social media at Lisa Congdon and at the Lisa Congdon Sessions. I hope you'll join me for future episodes. Have a magical day, everyone. Bye.